Digit Mason. Mason. Digit. Dungeon Master. D. Uh, what are you playing right now? How do I follow up an intro like that? <laughs> With what you're playing. Answering the question, ideally. I'll give you three guesses. <laughs> Animal Crossing. Correct. Your cooking game, probably, also? I always forget what it's called. No. Guess three. Oh, really? Oh, snap. Okay. Uh, are you playing Mario Odyssey for the 20 millionth time? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good. One of these days, one of these episodes, I'm going to have an actual answer for you. But today is not this... one of those days. <laughs> season two, maybe. <laughs> what is a season? What, I don't know. How, how does that even work? I don't even know. Is there a standard for podcasts where they have seasons and episodes? I, I'm out of the loop. Some do. It's, a, it's an abstract concept. Uh, season two can start whenever, whenever you feel your heart is in season two, then it's season two. <laughs> and now we descend upon the season that is two. <laughs> Ask me what I'm playing. I, I will. Just let me, give me a chance. To okay, do, fine. To take do your... a hip hop dance. <laughs> Brandon, take your time. What is it that you are playing? You'll be happy to know that it's not much, which is shocking because I feel like last week or last week, last month, last episode, I had like <laughs> last year, <laughs> last year, I had like eighty things to 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 talk about, and I don't know what happened. I just stopped playing games for over the past month, apparently. Okay. Hey, totally valid. Totally valid. You know, you just sometimes you don't have the time. I, I picked up a second job recently, so maybe that's just been eating all my time. But yeah, that'll do it. I do have a few things I can I can talk about. I uh, I bought a Sega Genesis a little while ago. Oh, sick! Yeah, like uh, it was the uh, I really wanted the Model One. So there's like three versions of the Sega Genesis. Each one slowly gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> uh, the Model One's the best. It has the best sound chip. You get stereo sound, and it, it's great. And then they got cheaper, and they made the sound garbage in the in the revisions. But I got the uh, hmm. the Model One version two, which is like the second best one you can get. And uh, been playing Sonic Spinball. <laughs> oh man, that is the one singular Sega game that I can remember, apart from just the mainline Sonic stuff. I have a a weird fondness for Spinball. I love that game. I probably played it a total of like. 10 minutes in my entire life. <laughs> but it's it's lovely. It's great. The the soundtrack for that game is bumping. It's so good. That first level Toxic Caves or whatever it's called, that baseline gets me going. Mm. I actually I do have a fond memories with it because when I got my GameCube back in elementary school, uh I got two controllers with it and then uh, a game, which was this combo disc pack of Pac-Man World 2 and Pac-Man Versus. But when I opened the case, it was Pac-Man World 2 and the Sonic Mega Collection for some reason. <laughs> okay. Which, Bonus? honestly, was actually a better... It was a better deal. Pac-Man Versus is kind of trash. So... I've never heard getting, of that. Uh, yeah, it's better. There's reason why. Uh, but the Sonic Mega Collection, that's a compilation of Sonic 1, 2, 3... Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Sonic and Knuckles, uh, Nappy for some reason. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Sonic Spinball. So I played a lot of it back in elementary school, and uh, now I'm playing it on the original hardware, and it's, it's, it's cute. It's still fun. That game is hard as nails. Yeah, I remember that too. It might be the hardest spinball, spinball, pinball game I've ever played. It's kind of stupid as that sounds. It's pinball, The hardest but... one game called Spinball. It, it is yeah. alone in its own category. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, at the same time I bought the Genesis, I bought two two PlayStation 1 RPGs because we were talking about the PS1 last yes. episode. And the PS1 was really known for their... Uh, it was the RPG system. And that's one of my more favorite genres. So I was at a game shop and I found uh, Legend of Dragoon and Dragon Quest VI for a really good deal. So I picked those up. Have not played them, but I bought them. Nice. And that's that's it. <laughs> that's what I got going on. Yeah. RPGs on PS1. So I... That's another one of those genres. We've probably talked about this before, but that's not super my jam. 
there might be there might be some games that are considered somewhat RPG that I have played, um, but I just never naturally gravitate towards them. But I will say uh, a weird memory that I have of a PS One RPG. This wasn't even the game. This was just the case and the discs. I believe it was one of the Final Fantasies on PS1, and it came in like a seven-disc set or something. Ooh, that might have been seven. <laughs> yeah, it was... I can't I can't remember anything specifically about that apart from that. I never played the game. Uh, this was at a friend's place, I believe. It's just one of those... One of those weird memories where, like, kind of adjacent to you buy a game and on the drive home you open it and read the instruction manual because you can't play the game yet. <laughs> oh, but that's, I don't know, the adrenaline in your body waiting for you to get home and you're just reading about the, the back of the, the box. That yep. is so exciting. <laughs> it's, a lo- it's a lost art now with digital copies and uh, limited physical releases, like... Yeah, that's that that appears to be a thing that is just done now, I guess. It really is. I actually have a big problem with digital, you know, digital taking over that I could talk about in a second. But um no, that Final Fantasy game you're talking about, I think all of them had like five discs on the PS1. I have a few of them. I I I find it interesting that in that era to they couldn't fit the whole game on one disc. So they had like five and you'd get through the first chapter of the game and then the screen says uh, insert disc two and it's that's just a really <laughs> weird thing to think about yeah but their ambitions were just so massive that they had to stretch it across that many discs to just accomplish what they needed to like that's that's how you had a big game and a, a huge branching story and tons of characters and like hundreds of things to explore that's the at the time anyway that was the only way to do it i think it's really cool it, it, hardware limitations be damned they they yeah. pushed through it and were like yeah let's just put it on five discs <laughs> who cares <laughs> clunky don't care <laughs> here's the game that'll be 499 <laughs> i see it as like buying buying a book in a series where it ends on a cliffhanger. right you know it's kind of the same thing and i don't know there's actually a charm to it that i kind of like where it's like oh mm. i gotta go put in disc two and then I don't know. I think that's just cute. Also, if you wanted to like replay a certain part of the game, could you not just hypothetically start on disc four and then yeah. go from there? <laughs> I don't know how that works. <laughs> Maybe the chapter one really sucks in Legend of Dragoon, so you just start yeah. on disc two. Although I guess you would need the save data, so maybe that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. But they probably put something there. in place to prevent it from getting weird, but... No. Uh, now, you mentioned um, digital... Digi- that, that's a lost art form driving home and, and reading the the back of the box and the instruction a little manual. bit yeah i really miss that. that that's like one of my favorite gaming memories from like my childhood i, I remember uh i bought the legend of zelda collector's edition on gamecube at microplay and uh yeah we were in the van on the way home and had like four zelda games on it three of which i hadn't played and i was just that was the longest drive of my life because I, I just couldn't <laughs> stop reading it and I wanted to get home to play it so bad. I haven't been that excited for anything ever since then. My wedding day won't be as exciting as, as that car <laughs> car ride home was. <laughs> what I'm getting at is though is that it's uh, when everything's online because most people buy everything digital now. You're overwhelmed by choice for one and two. There's no like the anticipation is gone. Sure, you have to wait for it to download. But when everything is just right there at your fingertips all the time, kind of like streaming services, it's like you don't even know what you want to play. Yeah. Decision paralysis. Yeah. That's a constant problem I have. Yeah. The the uh, the video game manual thing really reminds me of uh, one of the funny things that as a kid I did instead of playing video games because we really only had like I had a Game Boy at the time, um, nice. which I, you know, would would play here and there. But yeah, it was it was only ever going to friends' places where I had that opportunity to sit down and play on a console. So one of the things that I did in place of that, which seems kind of funny in retrospect, um, I would just make, like, grab some paper and make a video game manual for a video game that does not exist. 
Really? <laughs> yes. Interesting. I, I did this a lot, actually. And, like, well into junior high and high school, where... And, th- and that could also just be part of the, the desire I had to actually make my own games, which I did a little bit of. Um, never very seriously. But... Yeah, it was like it was the the closest thing I could do to having you know proper access to a video game or a video game console. Um, I'm just I would kind of just like copy the most recent or most top of mind game, some concepts from that, and like some characters. So like I had like a a Crash Bandicoot ripoff who I think was a bunny. Uh, I blatantly copied Croc, even though I'd never actually played it. I only ever saw a demo. Uh, <laughs> just funny things like that, where it's like, just my mind was racing with all these examples of different characters and different environments and whatever. And and I even actually, I think, got to the point where it wasn't even just video game manuals, but it was also like designing levels for like a 2D platformer. So like, <laughs> if I if I still had some of that stuff and the desire to make something, I could go back and like reference some of those quasi design documents and make a game for my childhood. <laughs> that would be interesting. I've never heard of anybody doing that before. That's, that's very new to me. I don't know that I knew anyone who actually did that. Like it was really just like, I was already doodling. So why don't I just make a, a video game on this piece of paper? <laughs> Your whole gaming history, I find fascinating. You didn't have a console until the Wii you had a Game Boy growing yep. up, and just a Game Boy. Well, and later on, I think I I must have bought with my own money a Game Boy Advance. So I did, but that was, obviously that was much later on. Sure. Um, yeah, it is, a, it is a strange path, <laughs> for sure. I just find that so... I, I'm really grateful for my upbringing with video games. If I ever have kids, I'm going to make sure they, they start with the the NES and then work their way up as they get older. But like when I grew up, I, I, we had a, one of the earliest birthdays that I can remember was my brother's birthday. And he, he got his jungle green N64 that we basically shared. We got a Mario 64, Donkey Kong 64 came bundled in, uh, paper Mario. Yeah, that's, I was just going to ask that. I was so sure that that was a bundle with that color of N64. It was. So the first video game, console game i guess that we ever owned was donkey Kong 64 which is probably why i'm so attached to it but yeah so we we had an n64 and then my neighbors uh they had an nes so i got exposed to uh you know that era of gaming my Mm -hmm. my cousins had a playstation one so whenever we'd go to their place we'd play twisted metal and crash and spyro and i got exposed to twisted metal man oh dude i got some fond memories (laughs) days that's it that's it feels like a genre too that like they could make another one, but somehow it's just never happened, right? Like I think there was one on the PS3. I don't know if they've done one on anything past that, but yeah. it's That's such an arcade genre that like it was best served in that generation. Now it's kind of like outdated. Yeah. they The only way that it's going to make a, a comeback is like a lot of these other 3D platformers or um, games from that time where it's like they are entirely banking on people that used to play them in those days wanting to rekindle the magic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the whole dollar is based on the the nostalgia there. Yeah. What I was going on a whole tangent. Oh, yeah, sorry, my buddy Riley, he had an Xbox 1. I feel like I just everything but Sega. I had access to everything but Sega. So I got to grow up with just a huge variety of different types of games and and different form form factors, but my my only exposure to sega would have been crazy taxi on the ps2 and that sonic mega collection game i got with my gamecube so that stings a bit well it is it is strange to think that there was a time when sega was considered a legitimate uh competitor neck and neck with nintendo at the time at least i thought man there's a incredible book and documentary about that that whole feud it's very worth watching and reading it's called the uh, the console wars. Um, one of my favorite books ever. It's just really fascinating. It's, it's all from a, a, a Sega employee's perspective about how Nintendo kind of just 
bullied them in that generation. <laughs> it's it's really interesting. And how they got 50% of the market share against Nintendo was like a miracle. It's it's a really fascinating history. Yeah. Well, and to, to, to go back and to see the advertising, some of the advertising they had at the time, and like how they were really differentiating themselves in that market where it was like, at the time, I remember at a point where uh, if you didn't know any better, there was a lot of people that literally referred to video games as a Nintendo. It's like, it was as yeah. ubiquitous as saying Kleenex. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> My grandparents, to this day, any video game console is the Nintendo. That's just oh, what oh, it yeah. is. Right. Even if it clearly says Microsoft Xbox on the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. It's a Nintendo. <laughs> It's, it actually bums me out. I wish Sega was still a player in the console wars, just because I think it'd be more in, it'd be more interesting to have another, uh, you know, AAA company making consoles. Sony just yeah. entirely replaced them with the PS One. Dreamcast tanked. Pre- yep, pretty much. It, it would be interesting to see in a parallel universe where the Dreamcast survived. Um, what what would that look like to essentially have you know a four major market competitors going and where what they would have to do or where they would have to go with this theoretical console that followed up the Dreamcast uh, to potentially get weirder than the PS2, the GameCube, or I guess the Xbox. That was the first one at that point. Yeah. Well, Sega was a great... Uh console manufacturer like the sega genesis sure it wasn't as powerful as the super nintendo but just that marketing campaign alone like it it sold and the dreamcast despite being their worst selling console actually maybe the saturn was worse i don't know but uh despite being (laughs) despite it tanking it was a great console it was so ahead of its time that thing have you ever looked at a dreamcast or seen one uh that i feel like i missed out on that one i i don't know that i knew a single person uh, who owned one. The only time I've ever even seen one was in the little kids' magazines <laughs> at the time, where it's like, ooh, it's this game, and whatever, like, the the advent of the gaming magazine. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair enough. I only got one in uh, 2016, so pretty later pretty later in life, but I got I got exposed to a few of the, the games, because everything on that console got ported to the, the PS2, basically. Um, right. But that console was fast. If they were going to survive. <laughs> exactly. You, you got to realize that thing came out. It, it competed with the PS2. Like, it wasn't quite as powerful, obviously. But, like, it was so ahead of the N64 and PS1. And it only came out, like, two years after, I think. Um, the games on it were great. It it, uh, it had four controller ports. That whole VMU thing with the memory card where you could play. A, oh, yeah. You could play games on just the memory card because it had a screen. Like, little LCD games. Yeah. It was just a fascinating piece of technology it, it had a vga input uh, input on the back for some reason sick <laughs> didn't it have an ethernet port on it too they were like yeah no we're going broadband like here you go yeah you could connect the internet with that that was mainly for fantasy star it's just really yeah. interesting it was so ahead of its time it's a shame that it it bombed yeah me and uh me and my buddy shane used to joke that sega and atari they're basically they're no longer in the the console game so they should have uh mm-hmm. they should have came together and came up with the, the Segatari box and uh, <laughs> merged all their IPs and, and became their own thing. That would have been sick. Well, yeah, if you if you can't do your own thing, why not team up with the next best thing? Exactly. But no, these companies... Would have been sick. They're almost nothing anymore, so... Yeah. Is what it is. So, I know that we're not really intending to be a gaming news podcast specifically, but we do often talk about Nintendo stuff and recent things. Sure do. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on uh, the couple shadow drops that uh, Nintendo has put out recently. Um, one of them being that, I don't remember the name, but it's basically like Kirby Fall Guys. and Kirby Dream Buffet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we talked about this on a previous episode where, you know just thinking about how so often in previous years a lot of those announcements from Nintendo specifically have always kind of been saved up so like they've had theoretically they've had a lot of stuff ready not that the public knows about it but they 
sort of combine all that stuff together and then heading into when they announce that there's going to be a direct, that's when they do their whole like big push for here's all the stuff that is out or here's the stuff that's coming out. Uh, we got only a mini direct recently, which was, uh, we can talk about that too. I was pleasantly surprised by that one. I don't think anyone that I was talking to uh, at the time was expecting all the little announcements that came up there. But yeah, to see, uh, and getting back to what I was saying, the, the, um, the thing we talked about previously was that Nintendo has seemed to be more recently just kind of posting on Twitter, hey, here's a game. <laughs> it's like, we, instead of having that like big, a big fanfare around it. They're just kind of like, well, uh, we had a game and here it is. And we didn't give you any advance warning, but it's going to be out in, uh, in two months. There you go. <laughs> this isn't the first time they've done this. Actually, they did it in 2020. Also, they, uh, we had like that, that drought there with no directs whatsoever, but then randomly on Twitter, they're like, by the way, paper Mario, the origami King is coming out in two months. That's right. And we had a, f- we had a few announcements like that. Yeah. And I have a theory as to why they do this. Um, one being, we don't have E3 this year. And E3 is kind of just over. Yep. At least the uh, the, con- the convention. But, you know, all the uh, all the reveals are still happening with Summer Game Fest. And yeah. all, all the live streams we would watch, the Xbox conference, the, the Square Enix conference, the PlayStation conference. That was never even at E3. That was just no. at the time of E3. <laughs> it was, these were separate things that were just all in the same time. So when people say they miss E3... They don't really miss E3 at all. No. Nothing's actually changed. Just the, the the boring convention that kind of actually sucks to go to doesn't happen anymore. Which, funnily enough, it sounds like they're planning to do that next year. But I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, I think you're. I think we're done with that. Like, <laughs> we, yeah. we already have other ways to announce games. Do we really need this company to come back? I don't know. Nintendo kind of pioneered the new way of just doing a, a video presentation. Like, that's... That's the best way to do it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Why I have a whole convention for it. It's just stupid. But anyway, I think Nintendo... I think they did this because they don't have enough... At least they don't feel they have enough to show off to do a full direct. But because people expect one around this time, they're doing the the announcements on Twitter. Yeah. That's a theory. I've also heard the theory go around that um, the reason we got the direct mini... So, like, they, we, we could have done a, a direct... Included all the stuff in the mini as well as the, the few things Nintendo had to show. But the reason they do it the way they did it is, be, is because of, of deadlines. Like Nintendo promises these companies to show off their game in a specifically mm. in a direct format. Right. Yeah. Well, they almost certainly have agreements and commitments with exactly. vendors and third parties and things like that. So if Nintendo doesn't have enough of their own stuff to put in that direct that they feel like warrants uh, a full 45 minute presentation... Then they do the direct mini to uh, hit that deadline and still, uh, you know, keep keep up those promises with uh, with those companies. Yeah. And then the stuff they do have to show, since we we're all going to be curious, um, they'll just announce it on Twitter like they have. Yep. Which and yeah, just getting back to the the direct mini, um, I had no expectations for any of that, and no, that's no, I didn't even they- watch it. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I did. I I only caught it after the fact. I think that was one of those where I was like, "Nah, it's middle of the day. I'm working." Like, no. <laughs> Every Nintendo Direct Mini we've seen before, as well as the indie showcases, they're all just like, I I'm not hyped enough to watch it live. I'll I'll, I'll catch the aftermath. Mm-hmm. But this one, I kind of wish I did. That Pac-Man World announcement. That's exactly oh! what I was gonna say. They're remaking the freaking Pac-Man World game cross-platform booyah <laughs> i am you know what i know a lot of people who've been wanting that for years myself included so if that sells well and they do the second one i'm in yeah yeah like we we need this to happen like it, it how long has it been i don't even remember when the first one came out but it was like heyday of ps1 uh 3d platformers at the time like like they were very clearly trying to capitalize on the popularity of Crash Bandicoot and uh, Spyro. Oh, yeah. It was the uh, 
the mascot 3D platformer boom of the late 90s. I think it came out in 99. I do have the original game on PS1. Mm. Um, it was around 99. And then the second one came out in like 2003 or something. Yeah. They were great. I think that was... Um, the first one was okay. I don't hate the first one. I don't love the first one. I like it. It was cute. It uh, it did more of the, uh, the Crash Bandicoot thing where it's... Yeah. Instead of going straight and back, it's it's side to side, you know, like a, with a limited amount of depth. Mm-hmm. Pac-Man World Two was the best one. I think with the first one, I have a weird kind of fondness for it, um, and I didn't really pick up with the second and third one until much later on. So it's like <laughs> it was at the point where it had been so many years, and then I realized they made more of this. What? <laughs> it's a trilogy <laughs> loop. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, that was then at the point where I was like, you know what? I'm getting a PS2, and I'm going to pick up all the games that I never owned. Let's do this. <laughs> and that, that trilogy was actually one of them. I've never actually uh, got around to playing the third one yet, but I believe... Oh, no, I didn't beat the first one. Uh, I got stuck on one of the bosses, so oh, I just stopped that... playing it. There's a really tough one where you have to keep jumping from platforms. I forget what it is it's the it's the egypt one yeah yeah i think that's the one you're referring to where it's like you're being chased first of all in a pyramid and then you're outside the pyramid and you have to yeah it's like a stupidly difficult platforming section back and forth and i just gave up (laughs) rightfully (laughs) so i never actually beat it (laughs) each one of those games Maybe not the third. The third one, in a lot of ways, is my least favorite, just because they added voice acting that really feels out of place and a terrible combat system. Mm, voice acting is can be very polarizing for a game that for a series that didn't have it. Yeah. For I I don't, I don't remember if the second one had any. I feel like no. no. No, that's why the second one's my favorite. It was the perfect balance. It became an actual like 3D platformer. Um, a lot like Crash Bandicoot because now you're um, you're kind of going from point A to point B in a, in a straight mm-hmm. fashion, but uh, it's a yep. little little bit less linear than Crash Bandicoot. And I think that was that was peak Pac-Man. His design was perfect. The gameplay was great. It, it just it had this very Pac-Man identity while still like moving the, the franchise forward. Everything mm-hmm. they did after that, like the Ghostly Adventures games and everything they've done since, is just it's not it. <laughs> His redesign sucks. It's it's almost crazy to think uh, the fact that uh, an, a gaming icon essentially still continues to this day and has like reinvented itself. That it's it's almost like saying that like there was a 3D platformer for Tetris or something like Dig Dug. It's like what? <laughs> it's true. It's interesting interesting to see which. Uh... Which legacy games move forward and which kind of just are seen as, oh, Dig Dug, you know? There was no big, modern, expansive (laughs) 3D adventure Dig Dug game. That never happened. Dig Dug Modern Warfare. (laughs) Dig Dug Modern Warfare 6. (laughs) And Knuckles. The the voice acting thing you bring up is interesting. I I find it fascinating which games um, introduced it and it worked versus which didn't. Like, the original Sonic games never had voice acting. But when they added voices to it, I mean, as cringy as it was in the adventure games and pretty much every game since, um, I think Sonic works with a voice. You're too slow. Yeah. Like, the uh, the Sonic cartoons, at least uh, a couple of them, were, were pretty decent. And and Sonic works with voicing. Pac-Man, not so much. I just, it didn't, didn't do it. That feels like adding voice acting not to other characters, but like to Crash Bandicoot himself. It's like, he doesn't really talk, so don't make him talk. <laughs> you can have other voices, like other characters come in and say stuff, but like, it's all, it almost it's, keeps that charm in a way if you have this like weirdly mute uh, protagonist. Yeah, they're, they're, there was a big push for a while there for Link to talk, and then they added voice acting to Breath of the Wild, and I wish they didn't. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm glad that Link still doesn't talk, but even Zelda and all the NPCs or all the uh, yeah NPC characters, it's like this was better without voice acting. It's just it doesn't need to be there. But yeah, meanwhile, you have other games that come out of PlayStation, like The Last of Us and, and Uncharted, and it's like yeah, those those need voice acting. That's that's what propels that kind of genre. So, 
Well, yeah, it's it's the whole narrative. Like, yeah, this is this is one of the primary ways that you follow these characters on their journey. Uh, if they're not, if they're not going to say anything, how? I mean, that's a that's a very different game. Maybe it works, but it's not the. It it does it can't communicate in the same way if if there isn't that human voice right there. Exactly. Picture Skyrim without voice acting. It's like. It, it, it could work. It'd be fine. But, like, it, it's part of the world building. It, what immerses you in the game. Some games need it. I'm so sorry. I've never played Skyrim. I am a pleb. <laughs> no, don't worry. I've only played about, like, an hour. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just enough to be able to speak on it. Actually, I'm glad you brought this up. You tagged me in something on Twitter the other day. Yes. all of my friends saw and all participated in. Yeah, that was unexpected. All of a sudden, I'm getting notifications like, oh, okay, this is happening. <laughs> uh, so you found this this list of like 60 games, and it's one of those like boomer posts where it's like yeah, one point Facebook. for every... Yeah, Facebook post. One point for every game you've played, and it's just a random hodgepodge of games. Yeah. Out of the 60, you had 19. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's That's embarrassing. <laughs> well it's exactly like you're saying it's like the the sort of path that i took in gaming was very weird i i was not playing a lot of the mainstream things um at the points when they were popular and i feel like that has just followed me to this day where like i'm just kind of behind you know i i'm aware of most of the popular games uh but, like, I just don't have the time or the interest to keep up at at times, especially with, like, the the speed at which games are released now versus back in the day. I hear you. I've fallen into a trap as an adult where I'm, I am more invested in the world of gaming than actually playing the games. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's a problem. Fair. <laughs> yep, that's fair. So I had 35 on that list, and I felt sad. You were sad about that? Well, initially I, I thought I had 28, and I went and looked over it again. And there were a few that just kind of glossed over my head. Like, I didn't realize uh, what Space Age Pinball was. That was the Windows pinball game. That was, Of course I played oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. So there were a few games on there like that that I was like, oh, no, I've obviously played this. And I just didn't. I kind of glanced at it, the original, at my original look, and I missed a few. Yeah. So overall, I had 35 of them, which was pretty good. But, like, when I looked at the ones I didn't have, I was like, how have I not played this yet? The biggest one being Portal 2. Like, how have I never played a Portal game? I haven't played either. Yeah, that's... I wanted to talk about that a bit because uh, if uh, if there's a game that you want to convince me to play, the reverse of that, you have to play Portal 2. I mean, I would start with Portal. Right. The first one. There's It's just a whole thing. <laughs> I can't even... I can't even describe it. Like I know all about uh, the port. Like I know what they are. I've seen like I'm pretty sure I've seen the entire game in their entirety, like in video form. I just haven't right. played it myself. It's one of those. It's like Skyrim, right? I know so much about it, but I've never actually played it for some reason. One day, I, this is not the first time I've said this, but one day uh, I need to make a video essay or something to be able to accurately put to page. Um, what this game did to me. <laughs> it does seem like a very... And how it changed me as a person. <laughs> it's a very you game. I, I, just looking at it and knowing who you are, it, I can see how you connect with it. Well, it's... I mean, just broad strokes here. Um, the puzzles and the solving of that. Yeah. Always been a big fan of that style. Yeah. Um, unless the puzzles are just like impossible, then I'll just give up. Yeah, uh, right. Because <laughs> I don't like a game that I just have to fight with forever. But like, it's it's intricately weaved into the world building and the story. And like, dude, you just you get lost in the storytelling and the things that they don't show you and don't tell you that you have to infer for yourself. There's just ah, I uh, <laughs> I have to cut myself off because this is like seriously. The end to the end of my days, I will be trying to convince people to play this game that haven't, and I haven't found a lot of people that haven't. So, <laughs> I'm so, I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> Did you ever play the Stanley Parable? That's on my backlog. I get uh, very similar vibes from that game that I do from Portal, where it's like this 
much deeper experience than you expect it to be. Yeah. At some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle that one too. It's like probably not at the top of my backlog, but right. uh, yeah, it, that one came highly recommended as well. Now, as somebody who loves Portal, it's just one of those one of those games where I'm like, yeah, you would. There's a zero percent chance you wouldn't fall in love with everything that this game is about. I I missed out on that whole that whole Valve era, that whole golden era. Like I never played Half Life Two. I never played Bioshock. I never played Portal. I just I wasn't a Steam gamer at the time, and then by the time I mm. I was, it's like, I played a little bit of Left 4 Dead 2, and um, a Gmod, I guess, if that counts. But like, yeah, I missed most of those AAA Valve experiences that everybody raves about. For me, it, so this is, you know, just another look at my weird, <laughs> weird gaming journey. Back like, I want to say like 10, 15 years ago, um, when I realized that Steam was a thing and I discovered uh, uh, GOG, good old games, and I was going, I have all of these games that I've intended to play and they have them on sale like all the time for like $3. What am I even doing with my money? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I must have, in like a single day, I must have bought like, six games from GOG and like 10 from Steam. And I was like, okay, so now we're going to play PC games now. <laughs> PC games are the worst games for buying one and then never touching it. Like, oh, so bad. There's something about Steam where it's like, I don't even think about money when I'm on Steam. I'll just hit purchase. It'll be in my library and I'll forget <laughs> I have it. <laughs> I've had to be uh, very... Uh, disciplined just for just knowing that that is a thing that uh happens to a lot of people and i'm very much can fall into that trap as well i've had to be like okay we're gonna cap this off at some point we're gonna go how many games do i have and how many games do some of my steam friends have and then i'm like i never want to get to the point where i have that many games so let's uh (laughs) let's Figure out an approximate number and then kind of keep it somewhat reasonable. I, I would say, like, at this point, I probably have less than 50 games in Steam, but that's still almost 50 games. <laughs> 48 of which you've never played. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's bad. I find uh, I was sharing a library with a friend once because you got that Steam library share option. Oh, yeah. That was great. Yep. She had like 300 games and I had like <laughs> I had like 20 at the time. So I was just playing all of her stuff and that was that was a blissful period. Which just then again goes back to what we were talking about before where, you know, you, you have all these options yeah. and unless, unless you have something specific in mind where I frequently don't, the convenience afforded you by just having a digital storefront is unfortunately... No, I, I'm I'm gonna play the thing that I'm familiar with. <laughs> it's like the prospect at this point of even thinking about is there another game that I want to own that isn't new? Uh no, I'm just gonna play something I already have. Like <laughs> it's true. Too many options. It's true. So, unless it's like for me, uh, uh, the new the big new 3D Mario game or the new big Zelda game. Those are games I'll play day one. Like, Clear choice. Yeah, consistently. That's just how it is. I. It's a similar concept to the way that um, restriction breeds creativity, I guess. Um, yeah, it, li- limitation. That's it. Limitation breeds uh, creativity. In that same way. There's a there's a quote somewhere in there. <laughs> there is. Uh, uh, there's something really profound somewhere in there. I'm just not. Someone's going to be yelling at us after this on Twitter. <laughs> in that same like vein of thinking. Um, when you have all these options, you can play whatever you want at any time because it's all it's all available to you. Although there's so many great choices, because there's so many choices, you'll never pick one. So you'll just stick to something that you love. Go play The Sims for the millionth time. Mm-hmm. There was something about going to the store, having thirty dollars in your pocket, getting you get to pick one game, and it was it was a hassle to get here. So whatever you pick, better be good. Mm-hmm. Even if the game was mediocre, you'd probably end up being very fond of it because you'll try to find as much fun out of that mediocre game as possible you know what i mean one 
the same same thing goes with not even just buying games, but like let's talk about renting. Oh yeah, that was huge. you've got video rental stores where you can pick up your VHS and your DVD and your Blu-ray, and then they also have this tiny little section where maybe they have some good games, and you can pay like five bucks a day and try out just absolute garbage. <laughs> Yeah, and hopefully find something good then too. <laughs> yeah, it was a high risk, high reward situation. One of demo discs too, I guess. Like a lot of the a lot of the things around that have changed pretty significantly. Even though like there is definitely still options for demos out there, there's a lot of games that you just can't try. You just have to buy them. Yeah, but knowing. Being in the the internet age that we're in, even if uh, you can't demo it and there's really no way to play it beforehand, you can just go look it up on YouTube and you can find out pretty quick if you're going to like it or not. Yep. The whole culture around it has shifted. Yeah. It's no longer about buying a game, taking the risk, and seeing if it's good or not. It's, here's a game I'm vaguely interested in. I'm going to go watch this IGN review on it. I'm going to see if I like it first. I'm going to think about it for a week. Watch a different review to make sure I want to buy it. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Yeah. It's hard to just buy a game blindly now. Yeah. I mean, a positive of that is then obviously we we know a lot more going in. So the risk of paying $60 US for uh, a game that ends up being just complete trash and you don't even want to have <laughs> anymore is doesn't really happen no. so much unless that's actually what you're actively seeking out because there is people that uh enjoy how terrible some games are and for them it's uh another one man's trash is another man's treasure like look at that it's two it's, uh... two profound quotes in one podcast <laughs> we have to change the genre of this to philosophy uh... <laughs> it's a gaming philosophy podcast we think deeply and uh you know Talk about Fortnite or something. I kind of know. <laughs> side tangent. My buddy, who I used to constantly make fun of Fortnite with, started playing it, and I'm mad. I'm mad. That's all I have to say about that. Hold up. Are you? So uh, let me understand this. Your friend who used to make fun of you? No. For playing Fortnite? No. We the other way around. Together, collectively, would make fun of Fortnite as a as a unit we were we were in oh, solidarity he's been sucked in <laughs> yes and now he's into it and he's like well actually it's not that bad of a game and he tries to sell me on it and i'm like no shut up that's how they get you dude <laughs> you fell for it you fell for the bait somehow uh online multiplayer has never really appealed to me all that much it's not like i've never played uh multiplayer games online notably like halo and um, that's probably it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, I have dipped my toes in there, but it's something about the prospect of being matched up with players that will absolutely dominate you every single game. That's just not, not my thing. And that's fair. I'm here to enjoy my games. Ideally, <laughs> if I just lose three rounds in a row, like what am I doing? My my old take on online multiplayer is I think it's great, uh, but it, most games, Fall Guys, I'll use an example. That's one of my more favorite online multiplayer games. I would never just boot up Fall Guys and play it by myself, even though it's online multiplayer. It's like I'm still going to want to be in a call with friends and we're all playing online together, you know? Yes, and that that's probably where I, because I have not done that, I haven't seen the appeal of it. Because, yeah, so many of the times that I've been playing online have really just been, I'm at a friend's place, and so it's a couple people in the same room, and then a, the rest of the team or whatever. Um, I'm just never that good, I guess. <laughs> I <don't... laughs> well, it's usually shooters that you're doing that with, and I, I'm, I never yeah. have fun if that's the case either, but there are games out there that, like... Stuff like Minecraft and Fall Guys and Gmod. These are like, I have some, some of my fondest gaming experiences are playing online multiplayer in these games over Skype, Discord, whatever. Yeah. So you are missing out on something, I think. Me and you, let's play, let's play Smash together. It's easy as that. <laughs> we, let's do it.
I I haven't I've uh I feel like my Smash game has been been uh collecting dust, but like if I had a reason to, I could pick it up again. Absolutely. I got it. I got into it. I've I've always, you know, not competitively speaking, but I have always had a fondness for the series, particularly weirdly enough the first one. Uh <laughs> which I I feel like in the midst of uh Smash players now there's too many other games that are so much better that why would you ever play the first one again? But I don't know. It's it's weird and clunky and kind of hard to play. It's this is this is the thing that I really like about it. It just it's so limited because you only have so many characters and so many stages to play that it it cuts out a lot of that deciding of like what is there, like 80 characters or something in the new one? Like, what is that crap? I'm not going to play half of these characters in my entire life. Like, <laughs> I'm actually fascinated hearing you say that. Uh, I never hear people talk fondly about the first one, and it breaks my heart because I am so attached to that first game. Like, so much. It's it, it. Silfco and, well, honestly, Silfco and Hyrule Castle. I think is that the level. Oh, those yeah, those two are the like they're super jank and I love it. <laughs> I man, I'm I'm shocked that you had even played it. Most people like write that one off as and and to be fair, out of all what five games now, it is the worst one, but like I Oh, absolutely. I'm not kidding you. Right now on my desk, I have a CRT set up in minus 64 and the game that's in it is Smash 64 cuz sick. Every yeah. now and again, I go back and play it and it's just like it's the serotonin boost I need. Before I was talking about how I would go to my cousins to play Twisted Metal. Um, when when they would come over, the game was Smash. Uh, that's what we, my cousin Jordan would just whoop all our asses as Jigglypuff somehow, and I, I still don't know how he would do it. <laughs> but uh, no, no, Kirby Kirby main for life. <laughs> he's so cheap in that first game. It's such bullshit. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Yeah, I have, other than the Wii U game, which I have almost no experience with, I, I have, like, very specific, strong attachments to every single Smash game. First one, you know, that was my childhood, uh, like, my young childhood, that's what we were playing. Smash Bros. Melee was, like, my my early teen years. I I put, I'm pretty sure I have over a thousand hours onto that disc. Weirdly enough, that, Melee, I, it felt like at the time, the thing that, um, made me not like it as much was honestly the controller. Really? Is so backwards from what you hear online. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most people are like, no, the GameCube controller is the best, and I will be using my GameCube controller on every single game that has an adapter for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm in that camp. Just not for me. Really? I can't, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just that I never owned a GameCube, so I didn't really have a proper chance to give it a fair shake. But yeah, something about the the button placement and the size of the A button and like the triggers are weird. I hate the triggers. That's probably the worst thing about the controller, to be honest. You are naming everything I like about it. Everything. I love how it, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I love how it feels in my hand. I love the concave triggers so your fingers just kind of slide right on them. The big A button with also, all the other buttons I hate orbiting. good things. <laughs> Wow, what a dis... <laughs> the only acceptable take I have on the GameCube controller is that the D-pad and the C-stick are way too small. Oh, yeah, D-pad is horrible. Yeah, that thing is trash. The joystick is fine, but the C-stick, yeah, like, it, it feels like that should have been a second joystick, but... Yeah, it's like a little I mean, nub, and it's like, why? Nintendo... What, what era was this where, like... Because, I mean, I feel like Xbox was kind of the first one to really do that dual, uh, dual joystick in that specific configuration, because obviously PS1 and PS2 had the dual shock. Right, like the offset uh, diagonal, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It might have just been at that point where Nintendo was like, yeah, no, this is what we're doing. Don't uh, really care. I've <laughs> always been a little bit like that. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I think they should have stuck with it. I, I really like the Switch Pro Controller. I do. But there was something very Nintendo about having... And, and I think it makes sense, the, uh, the button layout, where it's you have the A button... And then everything else is orbiting around it. Because there's in every game you play, there is always one button you're going to use more than the rest. And which is why I like the GameCube controller. Because it's it's set up for that. It's You will always use the A button for 
whatever the most common thing is and it's it's comfortable especially in smash mm-hmm. so whatever well and i think i i just need to resolve myself to uh to never being able to convince you <laughs> to not like the things that you like about gamecube because <laughs> can't I will, be done <laughs> i'll defend that console till i die everything about it <laughs> Except for the fact that it's not actually the most visually pleasing console itself, as we settled last time. It's got its charm. It's cute. It's just not my favorite looking one. Yeah. It's a little box. It's good. I, I actually, the, as much as there's, you know, I have my complaints about GameCube, the weird fondness I have for the size of the discs that they have, like that mini yeah. DVD size, I was big into that. For some reason, I don't. I like. I just really like small things. I guess <laughs> makes me feel like a giant. I also love it. I, it, it did. <laughs> it did hinder the console in a lot of ways. But I don't know. As a kid, that sold me. I remember going to my buddy's house and I saw the GameCube for the first time, and I was like, "This is so cool. <laughs> Why are they tiny?" <laughs> and it still works. It's like you got a whole whole game on there. Like it works. It's great. It just added to the the charm of the console. You know, speaking of the GameCube, I just want to. I want to bring attention to this, and this is completely, almost completely unrelated to anything we've ever talked about. Have you ever held a PS2 case, an Xbox case, a PS4 case, an Xbox 360 case against a GameCube case? So, like, we're talking game case? Yeah, the case the game comes in. I have not done that weighing, no. They're all similar, um, except the GameCube case. That thing... Those are premium feeling cases. That that plastic could 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 survive an atom bomb. You you will not break your GameCube cases. They are so sturdy, and they don't feel flimsy. Like especially like Xbox 360 cases. Those things feel like if you bend them the wrong way, they're just gonna snap. GameCube <laughs> cases feel like premium. Like the like the GameCube itself was made out of that plastic. Like it's so quality. Wow. Clearly, you've done more thinking on this than I have, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've never tried that. I, I worship the GameCube. It's my religion. So. <laughs> <laughs> we, we know this. This is a known <laughs> fact. Church of the Cube, baby. <laughs> <laughs>